Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Tour Catch-Up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Elena Rabakina captures her second 1,000 title of the year. Daniel Medvedev wins his first clay crown. And Rafael Nadal withdraws from the French Open. Kim, Chris, today is the 21st of May and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. The Italian Open is over. Daniel Medvedev is your men's champion and Elena Rabakina is your women's champion. We're going to be talking about the quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, all of the business end of the tournament. Uh, We're going to be also talking about Andy Murray and Rafael Nadal withdrawing from the French Open. Simona Halep's second doping charge. Very big news earlier this week. And uh, yeah, lots to look forward to. We've got another set of tournaments just around the corner, just before Roland Garros gets underway. But I've got to ask, first of all, Kim, I've just said Raphael, Raphael Nadal is withdrawing from the French Open officially. How have you been coping with that over the last few days? Oh, well, I've had a few drinks. Uh, I'm just about getting over the news. Uh, I've actually Tequila? had a pim. Well, pims oh, actually, okay. in anticipation of Wimbledon. Um, but yeah, the sun is very much set on Rafa's 2023 season. I, I'm i just glad he hasn't, you know, completely retired, um, as I was fearing. So, you know, we'll get onto it later. But yeah, it, it could be worse. I've had some whiskey today just to get over Andy Murray's uh, withdrawal from the French Open. So I'm glad we're on similar wavelengths. I just had a cup of tea, Kim. That's all I've heard. (laughs) I mean, there's been quite a few sort of injuries in Rome. It it feels like, you know, there might be some more withdrawals before the tournament Mm. gets underway, you know, in about a week's time. But um, it hasn't all been doom and gloom. We have had some good tennis. There's been um, some fun things as well from from the past week. Chris, what's what's got your um what's caught your eye on on the tennis uh you know circuit over the last couple of days or so before we get into the the details of of the final weekend in Rome? Well, one player that I'm pretty sure won't be withdrawing and probably will make the semi-finals and maybe not making it further is Maria Sakari, who has um been engaging in one of my favorite things which is a bit of twitter banter. Um she responded to um someone on Twitter who uh, well, made um, a tweet about Kudometova going zero and eight in her last eight semi-finals. So really, um, putting her on blast there. And then Sakari responded, saying that she's unbeatable in the fact that her record actually is better than <laughs> that when it comes to semi-finals. So I think at least she's aware. But I'm also slightly concerned that she is maybe seeing some of these things that people are saying on Twitter because it isn't always the kindest to Maria. I mean, if you can laugh about it, though, that that shows that she's sort of 
taking it with a bit of humour and maybe that's the way of dealing with with a disappointing record. And it just also means that we just need a Kudemetova Sakari semi-final on the tour to happen. What is going to happen? They can't both be losers. That's going to be a final set tie break. And it's going to be the longest tiebreak ever played. It will just go on and on and on and on. And then one of them will get the new queen of semi-final flop yes. mantle officially. Um, yeah, I quite enjoyed seeing uh, a bit of banter there with, with Zachary stepping in. Um, <laughs> I thought that was a, a nice a nice touch there, actually. And um, Joel, I think you uh, also saw something on the news that, that yeah. sort of made you kind of chuckle this this week. Yeah, this took me by surprise a little bit. It was Pep Guardiola, uh, who is uh, in, in football. He's Manchester City's coach. And he was he was on record this week saying clinching the Premier League title is like serving for Wimbledon. And I, I was like, oh, that's a nice little, that's a nice, nice little reference, a uh, little, little, little crossover between um, football and tennis. But I don't think it sort of worked out the way he thought it was going to because... Arsenal lost uh, to Nottingham Forest um, yesterday and it basically meant that Man City didn't actually have to play um, to win the title. So I don't feel like that is necessarily serving broke. for Wimbledon. He but... must have broken to win Wimbledon. Oh, there that we go. Like exactly. A, yeah, that didn't have to like serve it out. A default. Arsenal double faulted. Oh, yeah. double faulted. Yes. Yeah, on championship like point. <laughs> Arsenal double faulted on championship point down to. Uh... I hope someone in, in, in his like press conferences is, is saying, just to clarify, what did you mean by serving for Wimbledon title? Because it sounds like it was given to you on a plate and he continues the analogy. Yeah, I mean, Guardiola is carving out his own uh, status, isn't he, in Premier League, in tri- Premiership titles, mm. much like Wimbledon, you know, multiple Wimbledon champions. Yeah, so very true. He obviously true. sees himself on a par with the likes of, you know, Federer, Djokovic, perhaps. Maybe <laughs> one of a, a big three of football managers. I don't know. I don't know. Um, he's eyeing up a spot, Kim, maybe in the Royal Box this well, summer. Maybe that's yeah. what he's trying to do. Ooh, yes, that's Has he been it. to Wimbledon? I wonder if he'll sign Carlos Al- Alcaraz, you know, the, oh, the, the other Carlos, Carlos Alcaraz, Alcaraz. Mm. <laughs> just on the subject of football and tennis <laughs> worlds merging. Um, I bet Guardiola is also a Rafa fan. I mean, he's got of to course. be right. Who is Spanish. It? <laughs> well, quite. Well, quite a few um, people actually, but <laughs> not us. <laughs> um, uh, on the subject of, of uh, Rafa fans, actually, this person's a Rafa fan. Caroline Garcia, she likes she likes Rafa a lot, I believe. And she's been on holiday this week. And um, I, I quite liked her. You know, I follow her on social media. She was uh, doing a bit of sunbathing and swimming, having some nice food. And, and seemingly she seems to like Russell Crowe movies because she said she was watching Gladiator and Cinderella Man. So I thought, mm, okay. you know, would you want to go to the cinema with Caroline Garcia? Is that, is that your sort of movies? Do you think she'd be a good Preparing film? Preparing for the French, cinema surely. Companion? That feels like it's getting ready for an epic French Open. A battle. She's got a battle on her hand. She's going to, you know, um, fight her way to the title. But I feel like I don't often watch films on a beach holiday. So... <laughs> I think um, maybe a bit more court time before Roland Garros might be a slightly better move, Caroline. But... Yeah, no, she... she needs to get through all of Russell Crowe's filmography instead. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to uh, when we next see her at an event, at an event, you know, Wimbledon or wherever. We'll have to ask her how the the movie marathon. Maybe is she going, was inspired perhaps. by inspired by <laughs> Rome and Gladiator. That could be it, oh, actually. Yes. That's probably that the be. link. 
That would be yeah. it. Uh, well, talking of Rome, let's get on to the action because we've had the men's final today and we've had a first-time winner. Uh, Daniel Medvedev has won the title. Uh, it's not just his first title. Broken the universe, Kim. Yeah, I, I don't know. understand. People can't believe it. It's not just his first title in Rome, though. Um, it's his first clay court title of his whole career, um, which is quite something. He beat uh, one of your faves, Holger Rune, at 7-5, 7-5, could have been, could have easily gone to three sets. This one, um, Runa was sort of breaks up, wasn't he, in this in the second set? But Medvedev rallying back to to get it done in two. Joel, you watched this match uh, quite recently. Uh, it's not long since it's finished. Um, what, what did you make of this, Medvedev getting a, a clay court title? Yeah, it's the result. I don't think anyone, um, you know, was really expecting. But um, you know, he was he was saying afterwards that he was feeling confident going into the tournament and perhaps. You know, not having the pressure on him enabled him to just sort of go under the radar a little bit. And, um, you know, certainly in this final, I think against Holger Rune, who, you know, had beaten Novak Djokovic earlier on in the tournament, certainly for me was looking like arguably, you know, the, the slight favourite. But yeah, Medvedev was just kind of fantastic, I think, from the baseline. I would say Runa was maybe a little bit guilty of just sort of getting into kind of these baseline rallies from the back of the court. And, and we know Medvedev's movement is is second to none on the tour. And I think that really, really helped him, particularly, I think, in the in the big moments in that second set, because it really probably should have gone to three sets. But again, all credit to, to Daniel Medvedev to get it done in straights. And um, yeah, he certainly now, I feel, put himself into conversation of, who knows, potentially being a French Open champion. Um, I just think generally this week he's just enjoyed his tennis, you know, on this surface. And that is a far cry, I feel, from last season. We, we, we could have, I feel, like a, a, a whole book of, of quotes of him talking about his his displeasure for the clay surface. Yeah, and he hadn't even won a match in Rome before. You know, he's played this tournament three times, hadn't hadn't won a single match. Yet this week he's managed to beat, you know, Sitspas, Rune, also Sasha Zverev, you know, producing some of his best best clay tennis. And he said he felt amazing out on the court. So I think, you know, g- going into Roland Garros, is he just peaking on the clay at just the right time? Is this the start of something beautiful for him on this surface? He's feeling confident and I knew I think earlier on in the season we we got we saw those frustrations I feel with with some of those tournaments that he was just not enjoying himself on the tennis court but we'll get on to it uh, later but the Medvedev dance for me it just shows how much fun he is having on the court at the moment and I think a relaxed Medvedev is when he is at his most dangerous. Yeah, Chris, did you see much of the dance because I I'm trying to describe the dance for listeners who may not have seen it but it's kind of quite hmm. hard to, to describe, but he did something similar before, didn't he? It's a bit of a sort of a corkscrew sort of move. It's a bit of a wiggle. <laughs> it's quite lower body heavy. Um, oh, okay. I think it's... If action. Yes, I think... Um, I'm not sure he hits the club regularly based on what I saw, but as you say, it did like he was having a good time. Um, but he, he did caveat that he had his best ever week um, on clay, he did say. One of his best ever week so I think he did say that there probably is a spot reserved for a surface he prefers um because he I think he would still stand by the phrase that every um every bounce on clay is a bad bounce um but I just I think the question I have is what is it about his game that has turned it around on clay because he is returning really well and I saw that in the Holger match that 
Holger wasn't serving quite as well at 57% and only winning 51% of points on the first serve, which is very unusual for, for Holger given the strength of his serve. And um, was it a case that Holger wasn't able to kind of mix up the serve to kind of put him into some uncomfortable positions? Um, or was it a case that Medvedev was just on fire, Joel? Yeah, I think for me, Medvedev just executed his game plan better than, than Rune did. I think you could see in the match that Rune was getting frustrated with himself and, you know, Medvedev, his passing shot was excellent and I think just made sure that Rune was always feeling uncomfortable, whether it was at the back of the court, whether it was coming into the net. And um, although I think Rune maybe could have used the angles on the court a little bit, a little bit more, we've seen that Medvedev's kind of movement, I think, from from left to right is is so good that he doesn't necessarily need that much time when it comes to the ball. You know, his his shot selection, we know his defence is incredible. But it was really, I think, him turning that defence into attack that I think maybe caught Runa a little bit off guard. I think we know Medvedev so much as a such a such a wall-like octopus at the back of the court. But I think for me this week, what we've seen is, you know, he hits his ball a little bit heavier. Um, there were some stats that were brought up um, that he's added a bit more... KPH to his his ground strokes and um, turning that defense into attack on this court surface has not necessarily come easy to him in the past. It's been a learning experience and he's shown that, I think, for me, this last couple of weeks in Rome. Do you think the slow courts are helping as well? I was going to ask that quickly because if you are able to kind of hit the ball a bit harder, it normally means you've got a bit more room to do that. Mm. Um, You know, you've got a bit more cover on the ball uh, and it feels like against someone like Medvedev who's returning so well and is hitting the ball harder that maybe Holger lost a bit of patience in some of those key moments because you're being hurt and you're also finding it hard to get the ball through the court. I think there's definitely something to be said for that and I think going into Roland Garros could be hoping for a bit of rain there and a bit of uh, mm. maybe some some soggy courts there. I know there's two <laughs> roof well there is a, there's at least one roof at Roland Garros isn't there I think there's two now but um I think if the similar playing conditions, then we we maybe we should be talking more about Medvedev. He is the leading player on the ATP tour now in all categories for this season. Six finals, he's won five of those. Um, he has the leading number of wins on tour with thirty nine. I mean, you know, the stats are all in his favour. Really, does this make him a genuine favourite for the French Open in your eyes? I mean, I'd still put Djokovic as above all favourite. You know, given his record I um i don't think you can discount him you know we haven't seen his best in this clay season but you can't you know when it gets to grand slams they are a different kettle of fish so i'd still say djokovic and alcaraz but medvedev i think you know he's won a grand slam before he's got to finals why not i mean sharapova did it sharapova compared herself to being <laughs> like a cow on ice on clay and then she picked mm. up most of the highest number of Grand Slam titles at the French. She won it twice and won each of the other ones once. So I think it can happen. I think Djokovic is the favourite. I think there are a few other players in the mix as well. But who's to say he can't? I mean, his first ever clay court title is Rome. Um, He's going to be full of confidence, as you say. And I think we've seen Grand Slam draws can easily fall apart. And Medvedev isn't looking like he's falling apart this season. And Medvedev is now going to be the second seed at the French Open and it could potentially mean that Alcaraz and Djokovic um, are in the in the are in the same half which could be kind of big news I know we're kind of dealing in hypotheticals here but this result I think in terms of the rankings it could help him 
when it comes to that draw being made um, later this week. Yeah, I think that's going to annoy maybe a few neutral fans. You mm. know, the, the sorts of fans that love like the popcorn match of, of Rafa and Novak. They, they would probably have been wanting a Novak Alcaraz final as a, as a replacement almost. And that <laughs> I, may not happen I now. Want a, I want a Medvedev Alcaraz final, actually, the more, Ooh, more I think about it. That would be quite it. nice. Yeah, um, I'd be down you for know, I think, I think, again, we've seen Medvedev this week just come out and I think enjoy enjoy the way he's been playing his tennis and I think he's really adhered himself to the crowd I thought it was interesting when both players came out for the final it definitely felt like they were more in favour um, of Medvedev and I feel like he's such a unique fascinating individual um, you know on, on a tennis court he's certainly not going to have um, she's not going to be short of a few supporters or two, I think, when it comes to Paris. It's got to be Holger Alcaraz. I've got to keep going with Holger. <laughs> yeah, Surely. not losing the faith. I want I the mean... young guns in the final. <laughs> the new era. Holger has been struggling a bit with, with injury, I think, this week. So maybe, you know, wasn't physically at his best today as well. But hopefully that will be sorted out prior to Roland Garros. I, I, I still think he is very close I still don't think we should be discounting him potentially as reaching a French Open final. I yeah. keep thinking about, mm. you know, Casper Ruud doing it, you know, la- last season. I can easily see with the, the tennis that, that Rune has shown this week, particularly I think in that match against Novak Djokovic, that he is, he is not far off, I, I don't think. The draw is going to be important in Paris as mm. to where those gaps are going to appear. And, and I think arguably you'd say some of the favourites are maybe slightly, well, if Holger's lower down in the seedings, he'd be six seeded. That's not someone you want to see in your quarterfinal draw, that's for no, sure. Absolutely well, not. we'll be uh, digging into those draws later in the week when we do our French Open preview. But one person I'm wondering who is or is not going to be at Roland Garros is Stefano Sitsipas's mother, because she was told <laughs> to leave his player box at the semi final between Sitsipas and Medvedev. And, and yet more uh, issues between Sitsipas and his parents, it seems. Uh, we've seen him before, I think, telling his, his dad to leave. He's been having a go at his dad in, in his box you know before but this time it was his mother um joel what, what did you make of this and do you think the sitsipas and his parents just it's an ongoing issue that's just mm. needs an end now doesn't it yeah this is not the you know the first instance of this and uh, you know particularly i think this has been a very testing period i think for, for sitsipas on the clay i mean he's had some good results but he's not necessarily reached his his best level of tennis i would say and I do sometimes wonder if his family is a distraction um, in the box, and I think that was all to sh- all to see. I think in uh, you know in that match against Medvedev in in the semi-finals, I know there was some talk around his mum talking in Russian and Sispas getting angry about that because if Medvedev could hear, he would be able to understand and interpret that. Um, but it still f- seems to me what's fascinating is that this has been going on like f- over two three seasons now and there doesn't seem to be an answer to it and if we're going to be talking about Sissipas winning a Grand Slam title which I feel like we're further away from saying than at this point last season then I think there's got to be a question around does he need to get his family in order he did reach the final of the Australian Open we should Mm. point out this year and took Djokovic to two tie breaks so I don't think it's about him kind of getting to those finals but I do think that it is definitely something which has hampered his career and hampered him from progressing further. Um, And kind of he has these moments where he plays fantastic tennis. We've seen it in previous finals in the French. Um, But I do think having seen and been courtside in Stockholm when he was playing, it was very tense. And I don't think it is necessarily 
um, something that's always conducive um, to a really positive um, effort on court and lifting his performance, I think it can swing it the other way. And if it becomes a distraction, then I think that is a problem. And I think that's something which we have seen multiple times. And um, I don't think he is going to change that. I think the family is obviously so important to him. He's always said it, but... I would argue the same that you've said that it is a it is a big issue and it might be the thing that is stopping him from you know becoming what I think we all thought he would be by this stage in his career, a slam mm. champion. It is tricky when when you've got the parents so involved in in your career. It's it must be really hard to to tell them to take a step back. Um, and this is the only way he can, I suppose, during the course of the match when he gets a bit frustrated. But I mean, let's look at the women's uh, side of events because we had a champion on the women's side who perhaps isn't the most natural clay quarter we wouldn't necessarily have said that she was um you know hands down favorite for for a clay title but uh, Elena Rabakina has won Rome um her first Rome title just just like Medvedev um slightly different final this one ended prematurely uh, her opponent Angelina Kalanina retired uh, after one game in the second set with a thigh injury, uh, unfortunately. So a bit of a disappointing end to the the final and the women's tournament. But yeah, Elena Rabakina winning a big, big clay title. Um, she, obviously, she came through that semi-final um, with Ostapenko and also the, the quarter with uh, Svantec. She's had a lot of um, wins due to actually opponents retiring. So um, it's been a bit of a a funny mm. tournament all round for on the women's side, I think. But but Chris, what what did you make first of all of of Rebecca and what you did see of her in in the final, the one set that we got? Yeah, I think it was a bit of a, a bit of a mixed bag. I think clearly, um, Kalanina knew that she'd had some really tough matches and needed to get it done in two. I think physically, she knew that she was going to be struggling. You can see from um, some of the stats that she was really going after the second serve because she had to take that chance when she could. Um, Rebecca just winning 40% of second serve points, um, winning 90%, uh, 91% of first serve points shows that um, Kalanina was going for broke a little bit on that return because she needed that first set. And when she didn't get it and went down the early break, it was quite clear that she physically wasn't able to do it. So a big shame in that sense, because this is a career best result for Kalanina. Um, in terms of Rebecca, I think she just outlasted the field. You know, she did take Madrid off. Um, and I think it just shows that what we've seen is that it's very hard to have a great tournament in Madrid and in Rome back to back. And that potentially the, the better the better um, thing to do would be to focus or prioritise one of those tournaments. And I think this does put her in really good stead for um, Roland Garros. She's got a bit of time now before it starts and um, she was able to stay physically fit on court and people, the rest of the field dropped like flies. I mean, she had a bye in the first round. She didn't have to play a full set in her a third round um obviously the quarterfinal um was cut short at two all in the third and then she only had to play a set in one game in this one so it's it's unfortunate for the tournament um because it has been uh a little bit lackluster when it's come to fireworks after that quarterfinal and i think um putting the women's final on at 10 p.m did not feel right i'm not sure what what you thought about that joel yeah it was not um it was not great. I completely understand from the point of view that the the you know the weather forecast for today has has not been great, and there were there were delays, and you know they just needed to to get it done, and it was a real I think uncomfortable situation for the the players. I think they maybe sensed that 
this needs to be get done tonight. It's not going to be the most glamorous final. It's not going to be the most glamorous occasion for anyone. But yeah, it's just a really awful kind of situation that, again, I feel like with even with better scheduling, it could have been done better. I think when we're going to be look back on this season and look back on this final, no one wants to see a on-court presentation around, you know, midnight. And even that was, a, you know, that was quite chaotic as well. So for me, the final was more about the circumstances, the context before the match and also after the match more than the match itself, unfortunately, because this to me was just, it makes me angry feeling like the fact that we had a women's final go out at 10, 11 p.m., on a Saturday night, cold Saturday night, in front of not a full a audience. handful of fans, yeah. yeah. It's, it's not depressing. good. And it does feel like in the context of the prize money being half that of the men in Rome, yeah. this is not a great advertisement for, for women's tennis. Um, and that that is definitely, this tournament has definitely had um, a very unfortunate... It's had different issues to, to Madrid, but yeah. it still ended up in this same sort of chaotic experience I feel like and to me it's almost kind of fitting that the you know the champions have been you know it was one on a, on a retirement and you know Daniel Medvedev a player who notoriously doesn't like clay courts it's almost fitting for how the anti-clay results of the clay court yeah. tournament yeah it's, <laughs> it has been very odd um but she did play very well in that semi-final in Rabakina's defense yeah and I would also say she played well in that second set against Iga Svante. You know, she was 4-2 down, I think. Wrestled it back to a tie break and, and, and won through. And then, you know, Svante obviously felt her. She had a thigh injury and, and called it early on in that third set. So there were glimpses, I feel, of of tennis that does make me think, ooh, yeah, Rabakina could be a Grand Slam contender at, at the French Open. I'd still say maybe behind Svante and Sabalenka, but I don't really know you know, what Svantec we're going to get now, given, um, you know, how it ended for her in Rome. Yeah, she also had to retire due to a thigh injury, a lot of thigh injuries going mm. on. But she has said that she's booking her flight to Paris. So uh, she she endeavours to be at, at the French Open to defend her title. But I mean, the, 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 the clay court tournaments have been split so far. You know, Svantec winning in Stuttgart, Sabalenka winning in Madrid, and now we're back in her in Rome. Do you think the winner of the French Open is coming from either one of those three players? Like our new kind of so-called big three on the WTA Tour? You would be t- it'd be tough to bet against it, I would say. I think with those three, you have an awful lot of the big titles this year have been um, compete or the finals have been contested by them. Obviously, Australian mm. Open final as well. Um, and then on clay, they've all shown some really good form. Um, so I think, especially with Iga's previous form in Paris, I think she still goes into it the favourite. There is a much more of a question mark this season because she's not um, sort of absolutely strides ahead of everyone. I think um, she still really needs to to bring the top of her game that she played last season because I think the rest of the field has caught up a little bit. But if I, I would find it tough to bet against a French Open winner coming from outside of those three. Yeah, I mean, do you think Yelena Ostapenko might have fancied herself uh, because she got to the semi-finals here and then, you know, lost out to Rabakina? Uh, she wasn't very pleased, was she? Because she did, I think, she was caught calling Rabakina a rude word, which we can't repeat on the podcast. Um, and I think Rabakina looked a bit puzzled uh, by it. Uh, I mean, she stayed silent, true to form. But uh, yeah, I mean, Ostapenko really, I, I mean, I think as much this week about you know, showing the you know the best tennis, you know, winning the tournament. I certainly think, you know, you've had to as a player, um, you know, mentally with all the kind of stop-start 
passages of play, all the rain disruptions. You've really had to be on it, on top of it from that perspective as well. And we all know, I think Ostapenko loves a, a roller coaster ride. And although she, I think you know, left the left the court, I think four one up in that second set against Rabakina, it looked like she had all the momentum going to a third set. She wanted to play on in the rain, whereas obviously Rabakina was like, hang on. I've got to prioritise my health and safety here. We've got French Open coming up, wanted to get off the court. And I think that's where that kind of frustration came from. And um, yeah, it ultimately got the better of her. And I think, I mean, we all we all know this, but, you know, Ostapenko, I think in terms of the tennis she has shown, I think to me, she can mix it with players like Sabalenka and, and Rebekina and, and Sviantec. But her mental game is just so weak. You know, she's distracted so much. I feel like she's become a little bit of a, a kind of a pantomime villain. You know, her death stares with the, the, the umpires, you know, talking to the other players. It's really just distracting her from her game. And I do genuinely think she has also shown a level of tennis that if we're taking the mental side out of it, focusing on the ball, she also, I think, could put herself up there. Yeah, I think she just needs to kind of professionalise her attitude a little bit more because mm. she's got so much talent, but it's almost, yeah, like wasted in this like negative energy that we see. And some I mean, it's still, it. it's still great. It's I mean, it's still great. Some. Yeah, it's still great to see on uh, on social media. Yeah, she yeah she does keep us entertained on, on that in that respect. But before we head off to a quick break, let's, you know, uh, to sum up our coverage on the Italian Open in Rome, one word from each of us, I think. Uh, how would you describe the, the past two weeks in Rome? Joel? I think chaotic. I think chaotic. Madrid as well was chaotic for different reasons. But um, yeah, I just think this two-week format, there are a lot of there are a lot of things that need to be ironed out for this to be viable for next year. To think, you know, we're going to be rolling this out on more Masters events. Mm, I think we're going to need a lot of evaluating and assessing of, of these two tournaments in order to get like a blueprint best practice version of that um ready for 2024 that was more than one word joel I have yeah. to sorry say. <laughs> okay one word chaotic right chris one word lackluster lackluster oh i like that Ooh. one yeah i'm going a bit more meteorological and i'm saying soggy uh but i think there's gonna be a roof in 2026 so i'm gonna end on a slightly positive note that they are going to get a roof for rome it has been an odd one from that perspective because there has been a lot of rain. I don't remember this much rain ever falling uh, in my time as a tennis fan watching watching Rome. And, and as a result, you know, understandably, everyone's like, where's, where's the roof? We need a roof. This to me feels like an abnormality as opposed to the norm like it was at Wimbledon. Do you still think like it's like, yes, you definitely need a roof based on this one event and the rain that we have had? They might be using the site for other events throughout the year. So it mm. might be more of a kind of, uh, you know, all year round, all use thing. Um, and I don't know, with climate change, freak weather, lots of rain, you know, they've had terrible flooding yeah. in Italy. So I think it's a good investment. I think I just want to see happy players. And I think it's been quite a shame watching a lot of players playing conditions they don't think they should be playing in. And then the, the referees saying, well, we have to basically. Um, and so it has felt a bit like a struggle at times. And I think it's kind of taken some of the shine off some of these results because it's pretty clear that this is not ideal conditions, whether you're playing at 10 p.m. or whether you're playing under what people think is heavy rain for Ostapenko, Rabakina. We saw it with Massetti and Tiafo, And it is having an impact on the results and it is kind of causing a bit of a problem. So I'm all for a roof at any tournament. Good for the fans, good for the players. 
on that uh, on that note, let's take a quick break now. But do join us in the second half, where we'll be discussing Rafa Nadal confirming he is out of the French Open and plans to retire after next season. Uh, Simona Halep being handed a second doping breach, and we'll also look ahead to the last round of tournaments before Roland Garros begins. So do not go anywhere. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to a mysterious player. Uh, we had our longest ever path of the courts last week, so we need a bit of a break. So we're going to do a mysterious player. And uh, I believe Chris has got one for myself and Joel to compete at this week. Yes, indeed. I got the brief, which was last one was very long. A nice, easy, mysterious player. In order for everyone to this is going to go longer, get a little bit it? of time, but it's going to be it could be a long one to be honest. <laughs> it's going to be epic, another it epic is. on the cards. We're doing a back and forth mysterious player, which is the first time that we've done this. Mm. I think this season. So you both get a guess each time I give a clue, um, and then we'll flip a coin to see who goes first with the guessing, which could be an advantage or could be a disadvantage, dependent on if Kim goes first or if Joel goes first. That's <laughs> how I see it. <laughs> Um, I'll let the listeners decide which way would be the advantage. Um, so I will reveal a series of clues and then we will do the guessing. So heads or tails, Kim. Oh, thanks. I'll go heads. Okay. I'm flipping a coin. You can't hear it, but it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get a sound effect for the coin flip, yeah. don't I? <laughs> It is tails. Oh. Yes, already winning, already winning. <laughs> um, I will choose to go first. Okay, right. Is everyone ready? Mysterious player, head to head, back and forth. <laughs> yep, let's do it. We'll start in traditional manner with a date of birth. I was born on the 27th of December, 1984. Okay, 84, so 94, so it'll be 39 okay so they're probably probably recently retired um i think they'll be 38 joel actually 38 sorry he does get the um, maths wrong yeah <laughs> maths not my strongest suit um 38 oh, won't they be lurking on the tour still um david ferrer it's not david ferrer oh, oh. 
Now I've gone, I'm thinking Spanish retirement as well. Um, I've just given you a date of birth, guys. There's a whole narrative that's been invented. <laughs> uh, Nicholas Almagro. I'm that not Nicholas rogue. Almagro. That but is rogue. I love how already we're locked in. They're Spanish. Um, <laughs> are you ready for your second clue? Hmm. I'm currently ranked at 200 in the world. No. 38 and still ranked 200. Mm. Could be doubles, could be singles. Oh, I think it's a... Oh, no. Mm, I think this is wrong, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I think he recently retired. Is it... Daniel Nestor? I think he's older than 40. I think we've had a Daniel Nestor incident before, Joel, <laughs> when you said he was still playing on the Canadian Davis Cup team. Yeah. I can tell you it, it is not Daniel Nestor. Uh, okay, okay. Daniel Nestor is 50, I can confirm. <laughs> Daniel Nestor's 50? Wow. And he's not currently ranked at 200 in the world in anything. The he'll over 50s, maybe? He'll be chuffed you've shaved 12 years off him, Joel. He's looking um, good. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna think you know Chris loves his WTA I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna assume he's might have chosen a female player for us um Barbora Stritskova I know she's still playing doubles but she could be 200 in singles maybe oh so you think we're revisiting a mysterious player she is younger oh, she being she a mysterious player she was she was almost a mysterious player the other week oh. but I can tell you that that is an incorrect answer. Yeah. My next clue is that I've had wins over Djokovic, Nadal and oh. Federer. All of the big three, which I think maybe Barbara hasn't. No, mm. that would be going some, wouldn't it? In the mix, has maybe. That's one matches across all the big three and still on the radar. Um, oh, yeah, to still be ranked and have that. Mm. You wanted a tricky one. It's a tricky one. I don't I don't think he's this old, but he certainly fits that bill. Marin Cilic? He is not that old. Um and Marin Cilic is right higher than two hundred in the world at the moment, mm, but Okay. I like where I you're thought, going I knew, with it. I, look, I like where you're going with he'd it. He'd been injured. Yeah. I thought he had dropped down the rankings. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah, a logic. Yeah. Go on, Kim. <laughs> um I don't think this player would still have a ranking of 200, but is it David Nalbandian? David Nalbandian is retired. So oh. this is... <laughs> Last week we shut, we impressed. This week we might do the opposite. Um, <laughs> my career high was number six. And would you like the date of my career high? I think we might need a bit of help. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's go, so. let's go for the that. The 5th of January, 2009. Oh, this is getting... I feel like I should be getting this. You mm. you are... You're not far off any of you. Except <laughs> for WTA. <laughs> Thomas Burditch? He's not that old, is he? I don't think he is, but that's not a, not a bad guess. Not a bad guess. I can confirm it's not Thomas Burdick. <sighs> Kim, put Joel out of his misery, please. I think we weren't far off on our first bout of uh, you answers. Far off. <laughs> I'm just thinking if if this person was ranked six in in 2009, he did quite well at the old uh, Australian Open that year, 
and we we do mention him a fair bit on the podcast. Fernando Vadasco. I can tell you that is an incorrect guess. Oh, though. oh I thought that was right. Oh, I thought that was right. There was a logic. There was a logic that I could. I thought you might be getting it, but we continue. Oh. I'm a former French number one. Ah, oh, okay, French, oh, not this Spanish. Is... This is pressure. Joel, this is clutch. There's a few people this could be. 200. It's not Christina Mladanovic. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say... Did he reach number six in the world? Drum roll, please. I'm going to have to push you. Is it Gilles Simon? It is Gilles Simon. Yes! Come on! Come on! Well done. Is he still got a ranking then? He's not retired. It's, it's, um, he's, yeah, he still has a ranking. Um, he did say his last match, he had played it. uh, And that was against Felix Oja Alessim was his Mm. final match. He'd lost that one, but he did have that very good run where he beat Andy Murray early this year before he bowed out. So, of course, yes. Um, he he did um, he did beat all three. He actually won his first two matches against Roger Federer. He had a two nil head to head, which is quite impressive. He won those matches um, at the Tennis Masters Cup in China and also at a Masters in Canada. Look, can we forget that? Can we just can we just bask in in the fact that I have won a mysterious player? I can't remember the last time. Has that actually <laughs> happened before? I don't actually think it has. Would you have got it though, Kim? I was going to... No, I was debating. I was going to say Songa, actually. Okay. Um, I'll give you the win then, Joel. Yeah, well done, Joel. Very well done. (laughs) One of your favourites as well. For at least a week. (laughs) Let's have a look at what's in our mailbag. Um, And actually, we do have a a short apology um, to to make. Uh, We we mistakenly said that Ben had got in touch with us last week when it was actually uh, Saif. So, um, Saif, thank you so much for... Getting in touch last week. Um, yeah, here's a shout out and apologies. We we messed up the name there. Um, thank you for contributing uh, as as always. Um, this week we have, I think we've got Tom on Twitter. Um, Stephanie is Tom this week, I think. Um, who has asked us to comment on on John Millman's uh, words? Who John Millman basically this week wrote a column, uh, I think, in an Australian newspaper about equal prize money on the tour. Uh, he said that to achieve equal prize money between the men and the women's tours, there needs to be one umbrella body, and that, based on previous performance, that should be the ATP. So John Millman making waves with some uh, some statements there um so tom wants to know what we make of this um how do we think equal prize money on the tour can be achieved um and do we think that the wta has underperformed as a governing body relative to the atp um gosh i mean there's quite quite a lot to unpick um joel i'm gonna go to you first on this um what do you think what do you make of john millman's comments yeah really i mean really really fascinating because i think We've, we talk about this sort of ideological state of of equal prize money on the tour. Yes, I know it exists at Grand Slams, but we talk about it on the tour, and how, you know, how, but we don't necessarily, I feel, talk about how do we actually achieve it. 
And, uh, you know, I agree with him in terms of I think there needs to be like one umbrella body. I'd love to see that um, in the future. I know we're seeing the WTA and the ATP be more collaborative, particularly over the last you know few years. But I do think the ultimate end goal of that would be to, to join forces as one. So I agree in that respect. And as a result, I do sort of think at the moment I look back on on some of the, the WTA's decision making and... Yeah, I sort of agree that, you know, they they aren't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily say fit for purpose, but certainly I think there's been a few missteps there that hasn't necessarily, I think, portrayed and represented, um, you know, their athletes in, in the right way. You know, I think about kind of Steve Simon, the, the WTA CEO, and, you know, his comments around, you know, Ukraine and, and you know, putting Serenko into a panic attack. And sometimes I think some of the you know, the governance is, is it, is it on point? You know, the, the stuff around China as well, going back to, back to China, that feel, you know, could be seen as a misstep. So I do think there's questions there on, on the WTA and sorting their act out. Cause you know, there are certainly things out there that I think people could point to and be like, yeah, you're not performing as, as well as you should be for the amount of talent that you have, I think at your disposal. Chris, do you agree with Joel? Yeah, I think it is a case that the WTA clearly is underperforming. I think there was some massive interest in women's tennis with Serena Williams over the last few years. Um, and there's been some really great stories there where they've been kind of outselling tickets at the US Open for Serena matches. Um, and I think it's something where there hasn't necessarily capitalized on some of that interest when it comes to equal prize money and kind of the the level of profile of some of the female players on the tour and I think a big part of that is obviously the institution that should be making sure that these people do sell tickets and people do have awareness of them because um, it's definitely a case that Rome has highlighted and we've talked about it quite a lot that you would never think for the same tournament it would be half the prize money and that does say that something's going wrong whether that's the negotiations with the tournament whether that's not being able to get the sponsors I do think that it has to be a joint effort so I do agree there I don't necessarily think that it has to be the ATP I think it has to be something that's much more um, joined up and player led, I think in many ways, um, which does make me think, I'm not saying this is the answer in any way. The professional tennis players association is obviously a joint effort. Um, and it's something that does have players like Andre Burr. It does have Paula Pedosa. It does have several, uh, high profile, um, female players who are also attached to it as well as Novak Djokovic. And I think there's obviously a need for that. Otherwise, why would Djokovic have left the ATP player council? and set up this body. I think it was because of things like this. And this is something he's spoken about recently. So um, I think it's definitely a case that the WTA is not making great decisions. And I think when it comes to what success looks like, I think we have to think, what is that? Is it prize money? Is it attracting prize money at all costs? Because the WTA have tried, as we said with China, to make good decisions, which haven't always actually um, been something they've been able to stick to. And they've had to reverse those decisions. So. Um, having support of the ATP and having a joint body is what everyone has been saying for so long needs to happen. And um, and I think it's just one of the few things that fans cannot understand because it should just be a united body for mm. tennis. Yes. So we're quite in agreement with John Milman, it sounds like. Um, I think that would make logical sense, wouldn't it? Um, you could still have, you know, WTA kind of representatives working within a united body, you know, because obviously there there will be things that are, 
you know, more pertinent to different tournaments, female different players sca- exactly. and, and what have you. So it's not saying that, you know, suddenly going to lump them all together necessarily. But yeah, I think there's definitely value to to that argument. So thank you, Tom, for getting in touch. Um, definitely quite thought provoking. And well, who knows what, what will happen uh governing body wise uh, as the you know years progress um but thank you for getting in touch and do remember listeners if you've got any questions for us uh we do always love to receive them so uh, just get in contact and we'll do our best to answer them uh, that brings us on to all of the other bits of bobs of news that's come out in the last few days um we know that Rafa Nadal had a press conference on Thursday at his academy in Manacor, where he announced that he will not be playing um, in Roland Garros this year and that he's going to stop uh, for an undetermined length of time uh, and that next year is going to probably be his last year on on tour as a professional tennis player. Um, I mean... <laughs> He he didn't know exactly. He doesn't know how long he's going to be out. He's going to just stop practicing for a few months. But he, I think it's very much by the sounds of it, kind of a, a play by ear, see how he's feeling because he has been trying his best to, to practice and get back to where he needs to be. But it's just physically he's not ready to compete. Um, hence pulling out of Roland Garros. Joel, when you heard this news. Was it uh, a surprise? Were you sort of expecting this? Um, do you think we're going to see Rafa back 2024? Yeah, I did. I was sort of, I may, maybe like some of our other listeners, you know, we had, I was filled with dread, I feel, when I woke up in the morning. Mm. You Retirement, know, with this uncertainty. <sighs> yeah. I, it was like, I almost couldn't get to sleep. I was just having all this uncertainty in my head around what's happening, you know, with Rafa. And, I, you know, we were recording in uh, you know, our last episode and it, it did dawn on me that it, it could be a bigger news story than just, you know, Roland Garros and, and missing the French Open, which is a huge story in itself. But, you know, we're going on beyond that. And I think it's it's nice to hear that his, you know, his plans and his ambition is to come back um, and be back with us for 2024. I think his idea is, you know, to celebrate almost as a celebration and go f- to tournaments that have played such a massive part in his career um, and almost kind of give back in in that sense. And, you know, I'm absolutely would, lo- would love to see that. I'd love to see him, you know, obviously get back to Grand Slam title contender. I've, I've got no idea in terms of, you know, what level he's going to be able to, to come back at. But I think it's just great, I think, to hear that he still has ambition to come back to the tour. And, and yes, maybe he might need some, some wild cards along the way if his ranking does drop. But to get that sort of, I think, celebratory tour and it not just be kind of a a moment that it, it's, it's defined by something else, you know, like his body, ideally... Yeah, I think it would it would be nice to have like sort of a celebratory tour that goes around the world because we know he's such a global icon. He's not just going to be there to celebrate, though. I think this is the whole point of the what he said is that he wants to play those tournaments, but he wants his body to be at a point where he can be competitive in those tournaments. I don't think it's like a, you know, like an Elton John farewell tour, mm. which we know you enjoyed, Joel. <laughs> I think it's much more less a celebration of his career, more he wants to give himself a final shot to play these tournaments. Like he's not just going to be turning up, as he said, kind of, and looking to put himself in a position he doesn't like to be in, you know, not fit playing these tournaments. And he had to do that most of last season and still picked up a couple of slams, which was, again, one of the most unbelievable stories in sports I think I've ever seen. Um, 
But I tell you what, watching that press conference, I wish I'd paid more attention to GCSE Spanish. Um, and I, we needed Kim to translate because yeah. it was very hard to find out. Is he retiring? What was the message about 2024? But I put the question to you, Kim. Do you think that his body will be able to recover for 2024? Or is this a holding sort of statement to kind of allow mm. him the time to figure things out? And there might be a bit of a Federer announcement coming or a Labour Cup. Or do you think this this... Uh, final season will happen in the way that he hopes it will. Yeah, well, Benito is his press uh, guru, so they may have uh, kind of come up with this. I think it's a it's a reasonable statement. You know, I think it's he's just being honest. Like he's he's been trying his best, but it's just not not working. There's too many problems. They can't find a, a resolution to the issue that he um, had in Australia, got in Australia, and you know he's just been in, in a lot of pain. Um, even though you know since since the end of the pandemic and since COVID, especially. I mean, I think he's managed pain throughout his whole career. Um, we know he's had injury issues on and off before. Um, I always thought that he wouldn't, you know, he'd do a sort of farewell tour. I always thought it would be a sudden thing because I don't think Rafa's one of those players that, yeah, wants to just sort of be on the tour kind of messing around, you know, glorifying and you know relishing kind of everyone saying goodbye and celebrating him I always yeah like he wants to be there if he with a chance to win things so I think like you said this is more him giving himself the best possible shot at next year as, as a sort of one last hurrah but only if he's going to be able to actually compete otherwise yeah the, the love of the competition and the game isn't you know it's not going to be there so I think we'll have to just, I know it sounds cliche, but wait and see. Um, and I will. Everything I, I, crossed. Everything crossed. Keeping everything crossed. I'm maybe going to try and go to a few more tournaments next year to see him play, hopefully, uh, you know, one last time. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's certainly, you know, more positive than I, I you know, we were all fearing. We all oh, feared God, the worst, exactly. This is the final announcement. So. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll sorely miss him at the French Open um, this year, especially. Won't be the same. It will not be the same. Um, and I mean, another player who's also withdrawn, not quite with the same gravitas. No offense, uh, Andy Murray. Um, you know, he doesn't. Well, he hasn't played the French Open. He's a fourteen-time uh, French a Open bit. champion, is he not, Andy Murray? <laughs> um, um, Have I got that wrong? Hey, hey, sorry. Dreaming sorry. That? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's withdrawn as well, but that's to focus on grass court season which we all advised him to do did we not <laughs> a few weeks ago um but funnily enough he has actually won a clay court tournament you know in this in this build-up but only the the challenger level it's been a very up and down clay season i think for andy murray obviously the high of, of winning a challenger tournament but not winning a match i think on on the atp tour proper um on the clay court and i think that was really the writing on the wall and he you know he obviously feels that you know, better preparation for Wimbledon will probably be suited to getting on the grass courts earlier. Maybe seeing him at the Serpentin Trophy like he did, you know, last last season. Um, I think what's interesting is, you know, he's very close within reach of, of being seeded and that's got to be a target for him, you know, coming up with Wimbledon. And I would have always thought, you know, there was a, you know, in his mind, because obviously there are more ranking points available at the French Open. But to me, it's interesting that he's going for a, a smaller tournament that he thinks is probably going to put him in better stead um, than kind of, yeah, chasing things when it's not necessarily gone his way 
um, you know, as we've seen um, in the ATP Tour level tournaments he's played in so far on the clay this season. Is it about the ranking, though, with Murray? Would be something that I think we see these great moments at the Australian Open, great wins at majors, really amazing moments in tennis that he can, memories that he will hold forever, where he is able to show he's really competitive. And I don't necessarily think it is about getting the ranking up rather than having those. I think he would want to be seeded, though. You want a good draw without question. But I think it's more the reason why I dropped down to challenge level is to get the match practice. You don't want to completely skip a whole season because then it's that much harder to get those results. So I think it probably is a case where he wasn't seeing the results and it makes sense not to prioritise the French, get more time on grass. But um, I think it's more about getting in the best position for Wimbledon than getting the ranking up, um, which I think we all agree makes perfect sense. I mean, it would be great if he could get a seeding for Wimbledon because I think that would... Can't they just up, the best up shot. seed him? They still well, do they that, don't... don't they? No, I <laughs> yes. think they stopped doing that, You just make the, the calculation. Um, the grass exactly court power rankings. Spot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Andy yeah, Murray would be, factor. That's all yes. fishy, would it? <laughs> well, we'll see if he gets to, to the seedings or not. Um, just before we kind of look to the last set of tournaments before Roland Garros, uh, one player who's having a terrible time of it really at the moment is uh, Simona Hallett. We haven't seen her on court for a long time um, and that is due to the fact that she was charged with a, a doping breach um, but she's also just been charged with a second one. So the first one was for testing positive for a substance called Roxadustat. Uh, the second one is uh, due to irregularities in her athlete biological passport. So this announcement just adds another layer to an already kind of negative, you know, sad, negative, frustrating situation. Um, obviously a lot of interest in this. The uh, the process is still ongoing. Um, Halep is continuing to say that she's innocent, but two charges doesn't look good, does it? Um, Joel, w- w- you know, do you think there's any way back for Simona Halep? Are we going to see her on a tennis court ever again? I mean, it's added, a, I feel like a whole new level of complexity. Of course, I'm not a a specialist in this I'm not an expert in this in this field but to have this come at a time where she was no doubt thinking oh, I just want to get back on the tennis court has just put her even further what probably feels like from you know that reality of, of getting back to her day job so it's incredibly frustrating and you've got to ask yourself if there's two charges now you know one maybe could be a a, a mistake or, or whatever but if there are two in my book does that you know, for the doubters and the, and the naysayers, that's going to be a, a more fuel, I think, to say, actually, hang on. I know I get that Simona Halep is an incredible individual and she has all these, you know, all these values. But for two breaches, I, I think more questions may are, are being asked. I was, I was I'd add to that, Joel, that I think it is something that um, when you have got these incidents where it was the A and the B test that both... Um, came back positive um, at the US Open. And then there is this additional charge that's been brought in. And I think something that I have been thinking about is that when Simona went to the press and went public, she would have been aware of this. And I think that's something that was not full transparency there. It was very much from the case of why is this taking so long? But obviously an additional charge is something that would require additional um potentially additional time I'm not saying that that would necessarily impact each of the individual ones but I do think there is something that's a lack of transparency coming from Simona Halep on some of these pieces by saying that she's um already 
um, established uh, the contamination and of the testing that hasn't been established. They have not had the hearing. And so I do think that when it comes down to it, I think we need to let the process take its course because all we know is that these have not been explained and there has not been an explanation that has been heard and has been ruled on. Um, but in terms of of the way that Halep has handled it, I do think that it's been um, it's been one of the has misled a lot of her fans uh, who were not expecting this news to come. Yeah, it's it's uh, leaves a sort of bitter taste in the mouth, doesn't it? And we'll await further news. I think it's scary because for me, you know, when this news hit, for me, it's like careers are at stake here. The reputation of the sport is at stake, which Simona Halep yeah. is throwing under the doping officials by saying yeah. that none of this is legit. And I think that's the bigger picture problem because clean athletes playing sport is so important to the integrity of the game. And this does go bigger than her career by saying that there's a conspiracy at work here. Yeah, tall words to, to bandish around, isn't it? Strong, strong words, yeah. We'll have to um, see what the next steps are when we get further announcements. And we'll, of course, keep everyone up to date on the podcast as they come in. Um, let's have a quick look at uh, what tournaments are going on this week. We've got Geneva, Lyon, Strasbourg and Rabat. Um well, let's let's go to Geneva first of all. We've got Zverev uh, taking a wild card into that one. Kasper Ruud is the top seed. He's back to playing his two hundred and fifty events on the clay, which I know Joel is very pleased about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it was, hang on. I mean, we haven't spoken actually about. It, it was great to see Kasper Ruud finding mm. some form and getting to a, mm. a semi final. I think he'd be a, bit, a little bit disappointed being a, a set and, and a break up on on Kasper on song Casper Ruud on, on Holger Rune but uh, yeah I think um, hopefully yeah he, he might be looking to continue that form interesting to see Zverev I think take a wild card he obviously feels that the level he's showing is just it's just not where it needs to be at the moment he needs extra match time yeah and in Lyon uh, Jack Draper is back uh, Cam Norrie is there as a second seed uh, FAA is the top seed Brandon Nakashima's back. Woo. Uh, I think he was injured. So uh, he was out for a while. Um, so yeah, quite a lot of events going on in sort of the, you know, not not too far from Roland Garros, France, Switzerland. Um, and then oh, down in Morocco, we've got a WTA event. Uh, Sloane Stephens, Kit, Chris. Chris. Second seed. Yeah. who I didn't realise was still playing. Well, she's recently come back. She had some double success on the tour mm. this week. And, um, I mean, that will, that's a pretty blockbuster match over in Rabat. Yeah. I think um, I'll be watching, that's for sure. And that's actually a very tough quarter. We've got Sara Cerebra Tormo. We've got Leila Annie Fernandez in there, Vonareva and Steven. So um, if you're in Rabat, I think it will be very entertaining. And I do like, I've, I saw Sada Nahimana, first ever Burundian to play in a WTA main draw, which is which is pretty cool, I think. Um, mm. Yeah, out in, in Rabat as well. That is very uh, exciting, Got yeah. Got a qualifier as well in the first yeah. round, so maybe could become the first ever Burundian into the second round um, well. of the WTA main draw. <laughs> Records <laughs> are falling. the best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've also got the Strasbourg event, uh, which is another WTA 250. Uh, the top seed there is Magdalenette um, and second seed Elise Mertens, who is playing Su Wei Shea in the mm. first round, who is her ex-doubles partner. So. Ooh. It's exciting. Always love it when doubles doubles partners and former doubles partners face off in in singles. Yeah, potential grudge match if the doubles partnership <laughs> ended badly. There's always a hug at the end, though. Yeah, mm. there will be. But it's great. I mean, Suwei, I think she came through qualifying, so um, yeah, she's had some matches already. So yeah, she, she seems to be in good form. 
Mm. Um, so we'll be back later this week uh, to preview the French Open once the draws have been announced uh, and we'll be giving our tentative predictions at that time. Um, and collect a set. Collect a set will be collect revealed will be back. as Ooh, well. Yes. That will be back Exciting. for everyone to have a crack at. Um, so yeah, we'll enjoy these tournaments whilst they, uh, they, they happen and we'll be very much looking forward to our next Grand Slam of the year. Yes, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come from the ATP and WTA tours. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can email us on tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website, tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back later this week at Tennis Weekly HQ for our French Open preview. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.